This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within podcast. Got quite a few guys on today. Aaron Blythe, Adam Rock, and Justin Fabian is joining us here. We're going to talk about a couple of different deer species for the, the Deer Slam, all uh, all from a trip from Veracruz, Mexico, of all places. Um, not really on the, the deer hunting map very often, I guess you could say. We're going to talk about the Mexican Gulf Coast whitetail and then also Axis deer. Um, I had Axis deer on the, on the Deer Slam list and was originally planning to go to Texas for it, but there are free range access deer down in this part of Veracruz and, and we had a afternoon left and we're able to get some success there. So we'll cover cover that and access deer in general on this one. How's everybody doing today? Awesome. Doing good. Doing good. We're in uh we're officially in, in Michigan, we're in a very, very cold snap. I mean, Mark, you know, and Adam, you know, I mean, since November fifteenth, it's been six days now and it's been colder than cold yeah unseasonably cold yeah. for this time of year yeah we've been out hunting you know the last five or six days and it's so weird like the deer around here are just like late season patterns like you don't see a buck chasing right now you don't i i feel like the rut may be like <laughs> kind of over it's not over but it like it feels that way there's snow on the ground it's cold and the deer are just out feeding it's it's really odd very odd. Like I, I've been watching trail cameras because I'm obviously tagged out here in Michigan, but like watching trail cameras, I I'm not getting any of my target bucks that I know are still still around on camera at any point. Like a, a couple days ago, I got one I think at 12:30 in the middle of the night, but that's about it. Yeah, it's crazy. But we're not talking about Michigan today. That's my fault, being a bad host. So, um, you guys officially went on a Mexican. Uh, you went to Veracruz, correct? So Veracruz. That is, that is correct. Veracruz, for anybody that doesn't know, Veracruz is on the east coast of Mexico. Um, and it would be farther north than than like the Yucatan and I guess where you think Cancun, you kind of head up north from there around the coast. Yeah. Um, I, I, was, uh, I wasn't mad that I didn't go on this one because after you guys came home with all the bugs and the heat and everything you guys had to endure on this trip, I was like, I think I, uh, 
I think I was I was good for not going on this one. <laughs> I mean, I'll let the I'll let the guys hop in here on a second, but there was no shortage of bugs. We'll just put that out there right now. <laughs> um, Dan Cabela actually hunted the location he was in the week before we got there, um, and gave us a heads up on you know just how many bugs were there and and what we needed for the for the stay and everything. So without that, I would have I would have came down extremely ill prepared. Um, I still felt like I was ill prepared. Even even when we got there with the bugs, I mean Adam was rocking like this this bug shirt the whole time. It was <laughs> it was weird because he wouldn't wear anything underneath it, so it'd just be this, this see through bug shirt. It's still getting rocked. Getting oh, rocked with bugs through it. That's hilarious. I still have blood spots on my hands. Yeah, now you say that. I still have blood spots on my hands. And how long have we been home for? God, it's been a couple weeks. Like I mean. It's... A while. We went up to Saskatchewan for eight days too. After that, yeah. So, these are these are different kind of bugs. It wasn't mosquitoes. What was it? Was like the the noceum is yeah. what they kept saying. Yeah, it seemed like gnats here in America. Nasty things. Yeah, but if you were if you weren't covered in bug spray, you would just get eaten up. Any part of any part of your skin that was exposed, not covered in bug spray. And I mean the good stuff, like the the ninety nine point nine 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 percent beat stuff. <laughs> the deep woods. The deep, yeah, it's, it it was bad. Yeah. Well, before then, we, uh, sorry, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was gonna say before we get into this, uh, nobody on uh, the listener of the podcast has heard from Adam. So Adam is uh, he's been on the team for as long as I mean Justin's been on the team a little longer than us, but um, Adam does all the linear edits for TV and then goes out on the road and, and is a field producer as well. So um adam this is his first first podcast on the journey within so what do you feel how do you feel about this one adam boom yeah well it's a good one i mean like i said veracruz was a veracruz was an interesting trip so it should be fun yeah just we don't we don't let adam out of the room very much because he just edits so <laughs> i mean he, does, he doesn't get to see the light of day too often <laughs> the dungeon yeah yeah well, Justin, what was your take on this whole trip? I mean, you know, knee-jerk reaction, you know, after doing it now, like from what you thought going into it and now doing it, like what was your thoughts? I don't know how to say it. <laughs> I guess it, it was everything I expected it to be. Yeah. The hunts were slow. Uh, conditions were rough. I mean, hot, long, hot sits on the ground like you're not in you're not in stands or hammocks or machines or anything um terrible sleeping weather also hot um it rained a little bit one of the days for a few hours which kind of made it more humid turned the bugs up even more uh and then to add to the to the list of conveniences uh take the bugs out of the equation the first night there we got back from dinner and i I killed like a 16 inch little boa constrictor that was in our little cabin. Um, Mark's not a big fan of snakes and he got to the room before I did. And he's like, ah, we got, you gotta come over here. There's a snake in the room. (laughs) I I gave a girly scream and I ran away. I would have done the same thing. Yep. So that that snake got the old boot stomp. And then uh, the next day there was like a, spider the size of your face just hanging on the eve outside our window <laughs> they're, they're palm leaf roofs on these little cabana type things and then uh somewhere after that right on our doorstep was a, a scorpion probably i don't know 
three and a half, four inches long, probably Big half pounder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely would have done some damage. The yeah, old trifecta you guys had in the old hut. I yeah, I got my I got my Mexico Super Slam. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite food is Super Slam. That's funny. Your guys is hot. Like we didn't get touched with with snakes or scorpions or anything like that on ours. But. Nothing that you you know that you vis- visit visually seen though. I mean, you could have yeah. been sleeping with one. I'm sure they were there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. the cockroaches. There was there was some. Yeah. Remember the cockroaches from back in the day, like on Fear Factor, that oh, they yeah. make them eat. Yeah, it was like those. Oof. Couldn't Gosh. kill them. They're strong animals. They are. <laughs> Oh. Like they break your boot when you step on them. Yeah. Like. <laughs> hey everybody, 2022 was an awesome tag application year. We had a bunch of clients draw some amazing tags and just starting to see the trophy picks in the field. Wow, but you know what? It's time to start planning ahead. 2023 is right around the corner. The state of Alaska all species deadline is December 15th. That's right. It's already time to start planning ahead for 2023. State of Alaska deadline is December 15th. Make sure to give the guys in the office a call or check out our website, WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com for more information. I guess let's get into this a little bit here about this this Gulf Coast whitetail first and foremost. Now, Mark, I did a lot of research on this thing and, you know, I couldn't find a ton on this deer. And then you kind of reiterated like, yeah, there's only about like 10 that have even been recorded in the record book. Like not a lot of people hunt them and they don't give out a lot of tags. So not a lot of people know about these years. So I I know you know more than all three of us. So kind of give us the 401 on what these deer are and, you know, what to expect while uh, people are listening to this podcast. Yeah, I mean, this is so as you as you go through the list of 31 deer species that I've got on the, the North American Deer Slam list, this is hands down probably one of the least known. Um, and also, I, like I was looking at the list again, this is probably the one that has the least amount of hunting options for it and least amount of tags. So on a typical year right now, um, Veracruz is a state in Mexico, and it's currently the only state that is issuing um deer tags for the mexican gulf coast whitetail they're let's see here they're i'm not even gonna try to pronounce these states to butcher them up but there's let's see there's five other states that have mexican gulf coast whitetail in them one of them being the yucatan i mean the same area that that balam operates for and for rocket deer and so forth um but just like i'll give the overall on these so i mean they're extremely extremely small like the description on them, they they um, they like tropical, wet, and warm weather. So if you think about that's everything we've talked about on this. It was extremely extremely warm and extremely wet, not just from um, rain, but from humidity of of where they're at. Now, if you look at the states that they're in, even even so much Veracruz, um, the ranch that we were hunting, which was 100% free range, has for 29 years done nothing besides trying to increase the habitat for the animals in the area, Mexican Gulf Coast deer being being the main one of that. And they're the only ranch in Veracruz that, that gets deer tags. On a given year, it's, it's between two and three deer tags a year. Um, just like a lot of places, when it, when it went through COVID, they've, they've gotten three tags the last couple of years just as a way to, I mean, kind of help increase um, the sales that they can bring in there. But, but if you think about that from an overall overall picture so this ranch gets 
two to three deer tags a year. These hunts sell somewhere between 65 and 7,500 bucks. And that's not a lot of income coming in for that ranch that all they're doing is trying to increase the deer habitat. Um, and if we look from the outside of that ranch, there's, there's basically, um, farming mainly, mainly coffee beans all around it. So the, the habitat that a deer would normally call home has all, all been taken away. And even on hillsides, I mean, valleys, all we saw was, was coca plants everywhere. Um, and people just like, we'll, we'll talk about this time and time again with every deer species that that's on this. Um, the human expansion in the world, especially along this coast of Mexico has grown. So just their habitat has gone down, not just in Veracruz, but in everywhere. So there are a lot of factors that have, that have gone in, but right now, currently in, in 2022 and into 2023, there are only two to three tags that you can hunt a Mexican Gulf coast whitetail all out of Veracruz right now. Now the other States, there are areas that there are deer in there. They're just not established to hunt. So what does that mean? There, there's not a, a person that's operating in the area that would bring a hunter in and, and help them with their gun forms, help them with the, the getting the licenses from the, the state in Mexico that would, that would allow you then to import it back into the U S. Um, and if you look at the reasons of, of why, um, one, economically, it's not, it's not really worth it for somebody to set that up. Um, another big one is if you look at this part of Mexico, um, I don't know how to politely say it, there's a lot going on. Like this is, this is one of the, the largest ports, like Veracruz is one of the largest ports in Mexico, um, receiving ships from Asia and, uh, Africa. So then if you look at, man, what's coming across our border, a lot of that stuff's not coming from Mexico. It just goes through Mexico. So there's a lot of uh, politely said activity along the coast in, in these states in Mexico that make it probably not a tourist destination that it may have been 30 or 40 years ago. Um, guys, I, besides uh, Jack, who was our host on this trip, I mean, we were there for a week. Did we see any other people that looked like they were from the U.S.? No, no. <laughs> not even a maybe. <laughs> not even not even a maybe. So we stuck out. I mean, when you're driving in a car, people were staring at through when we were driving through the towns and villages. It's like people were picking us out in the car. Yeah, he was um, he went to town for tequila and he's like, Hey, you want to go for a ride? And I was like, Yeah, I'll, I'll take a ride. And he's like, all right, take all your camo off and look like you're there to do business. It's like <laughs> I'm good, I'll stay here. I think I'm yeah. Good. So what kind of business were you gonna look like yeah. you were doing? Yeah, I don't know. Like, That's but, what I said. I'm like there's only two kinds of business around here. I don't know. I'm going to stay. What, when you, stay. when you paint that picture in your head of, of what kind of businessman are you like, what, what are you looking? What are you looking at? Like, what would you want to be? I don't know. Flannel. <laughs> a couple of flannels. A couple of flannels, just a flannel guy rocking down with some cut off, cut off jean shorts, something like oh, that. Yeah. Just ready to do it. That was the nicest, nicest shirt we had in camp was that, that was the flannel fest for Cabela's that week. So we had to take pictures. So there was, there was two nice flannels in camp and that's about there it. Was. <laughs> there was Adam worked his way home with one, I think. You know, there yeah, was so- there was a couple pictures floating around amongst our closed walls and, you know, what we do and everything. And there's one that I need to get my hands on that uh, <laughs> might be the cover art for this. <laughs> just, just riding, riding that little pony. Yeah. It was bad. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I love that so- image. So anyway, back back to like describing what the deer is in the area and just why it's not well known. Like there's just not many hunting options for it. So if you think two to three tags a year, not many people are going there. Sure. So right. So I I, I pulled up in front of me right now. There are currently 
10 entries into the record book um, for this deer from 1972 to current. Um, there were there was one that was put in in, in 2020 out of Veracruz. And just to give everybody a, a size idea for that, that last one in 2020 um, was a 51 and 5 8 inch whitetail. The world record right now is a 106 inch and 2 8 inch whitetail. Okay. And, and that was from Veracruz in 2004. Um, and that one is currently 20 inches above number two. So that kind of gives you an idea of what you're what you're really looking for in a deer here. And I, and I le- like obviously everywhere I go, I learn a ton actually being on the ground versus more so than what I can find online or talking to somebody else. And like on this one, I couldn't even really talk to anybody else because over the over the last I mean, at the most over the last 10 years, there was 20 to 30 people that went down there. If they sell every tag minus two years for covid that nobody went down there. And a lot of years they don't sell the two or three tags. Because again, it's, it's, it's how many people want to go and shoot a, a 50 inch whitetail, right? Like there's just not a high demand for, for that. And I don't know if we've upsold what, what the area is like. So, I mean, you're not going there to, to enjoy the accommodations or the bugs or the snakes or the tarantulas or the spiders. Like this is, a, this is a unique one to, to go after somebody really wants to, wants to experience this one. Um, and I'll just kind of dig in like what we learned on this. So going into it and having Dan there the week before, really, I mean that having Dan there the week before really helped give us an idea of what was going on. Um, and like you go in with the idea that you're looking for a branched antlered buck. So what that means is anything that is a, it, it could be a four point, a three point, a basket five. Like we, we looked at what was on the ranch. I mean, there's not a lot of, a lot of size so we we hunted six and a half days dan hunted seven days before us um so i mean we had a lot of time in there and it it was one of those things so like naturally if you were in michigan or Iowa or somewhere and you're like okay this area's only got two to three hunters a year man think of the giants that would be there right like everybody thinks okay if this area is only getting hunted two or three tags a year man they're gonna be some big deer there not true in this area so like you you start wandering not having been there like i was like well why aren't there going to be big deer there like you're only shooting two to three so is it the density so low because there's predators or what is it and like my takeaway on this is it's because of bugs and ticks so dan mentioned to me he's like you'll be shocked when when the buck that dan shot you'll be shocked at the number of ticks that you see on these on these deer and I'm like, okay, I've hunted out west, and you'll you'll occasionally shoot a deer, and you'll be like, okay, this deer had 25 or 30 ticks on it, and you're like, yeah, that was not good. Well, I can I can say, and Justin can vouch for the buck that I shot down there. It may have had 500 ticks on it. Mm. It may have had more. It, there wasn't an inch on that deer that didn't have a tick. I I grabbed it underneath the jawline to take a picture with it, and I could probably touch in my palm 30 ticks oh. crawling. Any size range from fully, I mean, fully have already got it to not. And I think nowadays we know what diseases those ticks carry. Like there's no way for it, There's no way for that buck to make it very long with that many ticks in it. Like it, it's not fighting weather. It's not going through cold snaps. No, they don't um, freeze out. You're not going to kill them. They don't freeze out. Like they eat vegetation. There's vegetation all over the place. Um, 
I mean, we didn't see a high mass number of does, but there were does there. So there was enough to keep the, the breeding going there. There was some, I, I guess, pressure from the outside, um, like some trespassings, like so, some of that stuff on deer, but not enough to make it, not even enough to make a dent on anything. So like you, you go back to it and you're like, man, these bugs or these deer have to fight something that deer in the north don't have to because they all the, the ticks and stuff get froze out for certain months. They have to fight ticks 12 months a year. And just where they're laying down their ticks everywhere. I mean, I don't know how many times I got back to our little hut and, and started checking the pants and I'd have ticks all over me. Yeah. Imagine, you know, when the, when those fawns drop, like the amount of ticks that, that get on them then, you know, when they can't move for a day or two or, or something. And, you know, I, I would be, I'd be interested to hear like, what is the fatality rate of that if like so many ticks to overtake that deer and you know kills it as a fawn like could that is that possible like it's got it's got to be so high but then okay so now you're looking at the does and the bucks that are like because you have to think okay over time they're going to get semi-resistant to it knowing that every everything there has 500 or plus ticks on it that are just i mean just think about what that's doing to the health of deer but then at the same time you're like okay why aren't these deer getting a little bit bigger to antler well, if you think about it, they're fighting their bodies, fighting this all the time. So they had some deadheads in there that in their office that you could tell, like this buck may be four and a half or five and a half years old. And it's only a spike. Like, that's just the, the genetics of the area. Like, yeah, it's got big bases, but it's only it, like it never branched off. It's just a spike. And then you would see like this, this little basket five point that you're like, that's not a year and a half old deer. Like here in Michigan, you're like, that's a year and a half old deer there. You're like, no, look at how elongated the nose is. Like that's an older deer that's there. Mm -hmm. So like, this is, this is one of those subspecies that like, I don't know how much longer it's going to be around just from human expansion. Um, the habitat loss that, that it's facing just on a, on a daily basis. Cause I can tell you right now, that landowner will make a lot more money if he doesn't do the conservation to keep that as, as a wild place and just puts um, coffee plants all over the place. Yeah. He won't do it. <laughs> yeah. He, this landowner's different. Like there's always, you always hear those guys like he's, he's one that he'll spend every last cent that he has to keep this thing wild and, and the deer there. But again, like eventually, I mean, he's getting older, he's going to sell. So what's the next landowner going to do? Is he right. going to keep that, keep that going? Or is he just going to put plants all over the place and, and start making yeah. a profit off the land? Like that's, that's, that's one of those, like, I can see the end of this subspecies, at least hunting wise, um, in the near future, because I mean, this is the only ranch that does it. He's probably in his upper sixties, mid sixties, upper sixties, I would guess for age, the current, the current landowner. Um, so how many more years is he going to keep, keep battling this and, and what happens now? the other states that are there that doesn't that don't have hunting because it's not set up and, and that state's not issuing tags or so forth don't get me wrong they're deer there not in high mass numbers but there are mexican gulf coast whitetails floating around there and there's nothing say you know politically 15 years down the road that um the state of tabasco down there doesn't allow hunting for mexican gulf coast whitetail again because somebody goes down there and, and says man this ranch i could set up and run four or five deer hunts out of here because the numbers are there so there's nothing that says that doesn't happen in the future i gotcha now as far as you mentioned like you you did see other deer like ballpark figure like how many deer total do you think you saw the whole time 
three bucks altogether end of the week i mean maybe maybe eight or nine different deer yeah whitetails whitetail mm-hmm. yeah now are they running like do they run trail cams and stuff like that like you know we do in the states they they do not they said they they ran trail cams in the past but they had gotten stolen so they there were no trail cams going on while we were there which i mean obviously anybody that's hunting knows that you're rolling into an area for a week that's extremely thick vegetation um that they only hunt for a couple of weeks a year trail camps probably would have helped out tremendously if even if even if like I, if i would have brought six of mine and just set them up while we were there you could have got an idea mm-hmm. um so one thing i didn't talk about is the style of hunting that they that they do we hunted a different spot all but i want to say two or three times so when i say a different spot each day you would hunt twice in the morning and at night so six and a half we hunted 13 different times in the field going for them so we hunted it would be 10 or 11 different locations that we went out to hunt so you had no consistency to like in saskatchewan here and when we were there like you got the trail camps you know that deer's there it's only if you hunt long enough that deer will show while you're there right so you just every day that passes your odds increase of that deer showing up on its northern normal pattern how they hunt there with the bouncing around it was like man you're gonna have to get real lucky to see a buck this way that you're doing it because like if i had just sat in this one stand for a week you're like well just out of out of the odds i would have seen the buck that was in the area here or if they would have had a trail camera and said man this buck's coming through here at this time yeah when you play that jumping game we all know it's like you know i feel like sometimes your odds go down quite a bit but, you know, like we talked in Saskatchewan, Mark, having those cameras there, like it just helps with your psyche, you know, like, oh, okay, yeah. he's there. We just, you know, it's not like we're hunting a ghost, you know, and that yeah. sounds like what you were doing in Mexico, maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, we shot day six. Um, so, I mean, by the time, I won't lie, we were pretty, we were pretty grounded by that time. Like the, the morale was pretty low i was already (laughs) planning on having to come back and it was one of those things man i'm gonna have to schedule it to come back next year because it's not one that i wanted to wait three years down the road or four years down the road just in case something happened with the ranch at this point in time i'm like i'm gonna come back i'm gonna ship them down trail cameras i'm gonna come with trail cameras i'm gonna not book a week i'm gonna book 12 days and just come down with a whole bunch of different stuff down there just to just to make it more successful on on the trip going down um and truthfully, like, okay, Dan kind of prepped me for it in his trip. Like, you're looking for that branched antlered deer, a four-point, a three-point, anything. Um, Dan kind of let me know, hey, that, that's just not here. Like, those those aren't here. All I've seen and I've hunted a week is I've seen a couple of different spikes. Yeah. Um, and Dan's like, again, it's an older spike. It's not like a year-and-a-half-old spike that somebody thinks is here in Michigan. Like, it's, it's not that or a half-a-year-old that just threw a little spike out there the first year. Like... It's not that these are older deer. They're just they just don't have anything. We've hunted we've hunted this ranch long enough that that they're not there. Um, so we grinded out the week, and then I mean that's eventually what we shot on the last day was a was a spike. But that was that's like that's what's there, and it's an older spike. Like I've got the tooth to send off here. I hate to say it, I think the thing's three and a half years old. And from everything that was going on there, 
I don't know how many deer make it to three and a half there. Right. Just because of all the bugs and everything that's going on. So it's so like, this is one is so different from anywhere else that I've whitetail hunted and just what the deer have to go through. Like you can take anything that I learned in Michigan, Kansas, um, Texas, anywhere else like that, and just completely throw it out the window because none of that stuff is true down there. Yeah. I want to touch back on the time invested. Like you said, six days, 13 sits. I mean, would you say we were out there on average for four to five hours for every four to five hours? Yep. So call it five hours. That's 65 hunting hours just for you. And then there for eight days because he continued to hunt. After he killed his white tail, he continued to hunt for axis. So he's at 80 hours. So between two people, two hunters, you're looking at what 150 hunting mm-hmm. hours. And, and that's not counting to where not either see more than a spike. Yeah. And that's not counting where you or Adam split off and sat somewhere different right. at the same time we were going out. So by the time you do that, like we were pushing 180 hours. Yeah. Between everybody. What's crazy that, to me is like, I mean, you noticed it too, Mark, is that. I think some of the same deer were following us around. Oh yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. You'd see like the same doe and fawn. You're like same yeah. doe and fawn because you'd pick up something on her face and I'd be like right there, that's her marking. And then all of a sudden where you sit somewhere else, that same doe and fawn appear. So like how, how they do it there to try I mean, just like it's done a lot of ways, they put some feed out. Um, there was a mix of maize and chicken feed. Was that what it was? Like yeah, little kind pellet, of like a pellet, pellet like feed, a, like a, a poultry pellet feed, and they would do it via horse. So the guy that would do that, we'd walk in. The guy with the horse would follow us. We'd get set up. Um, that dude with the horse would go out and put this feed out, and it was kind of like the deer registered that this horse was well something different than just eating a leaf. So they would come there, and and later that night or that morning, you would see what was in that area. Um. But yeah, you'd see this, we hunted, I mean, again, 10 or 11 different spots and you would see the same deer everywhere. And it's funny because, because Dan, the week before posted pictures of, of this doe that he saw that had, it was a a darker um, face on it than, than what normally had. It was like, man, we saw that doe, I don't know, five times throughout the hunt. Like the same pictures of the deer that he was posting, I could identify that we were seeing. So that's where I'm like, okay, this place was, I think. 35 or 4,000 acres, but you're seeing the same deer all over this place. What was the reasoning for the horse is just to kind of keep the pressure lower. So they, well, a couple things. One, obviously you can you carry the weight of the feed going out there. It's not like uh, Kentucky to where you could drive right to it or easily walk to it. So you're going up and down ridges and crossing little ponds or creeks or rivers or whatever it is. Um, but the other one in their mind there is they were relating anytime that horse was out on on the ranch, the deer relate it to wherever that horse goes. There's going to be food drop somewhere along the way. I got you. It's, how, it's what their mindset down there of the the guys that were running it. Okay, that that's kind of unique. Like that's one of those things that you know we just don't hear of. You know, Texas. No. When you go to Texas, and Justin can attest to this, like a lot of it's like that dinner bell, that feeder going off. You know, that's just like the horse is kind of that same. Same. It's that same, 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 same mindset of yes. In Texas, you hear the feeder go off and the deer start showing up four minutes later. Yep. Um, here, it's the horse is how they how they do it to get the deer to come out. And like, it's tough for people to imagine this, but just imagine because it's so dense. So there are openings there of of where like stuff has been washed away, and you'll get a fifty yard opening. 
if you look inside that 50 yard opening to the jungle, you can't see 12 inches in there. You might hear something moving in there, but you can't see a thing. It's so thick. So you got to get the deer to come out into these openings. Now, again, like you've been there and I've seen other places that have, that have hunted around a Texas or Kentucky or places like that, Oklahoma, Kansas to where, to where, um, feeding is, is part of how you hunt the deer there. Like, if they would have had a feeder in an open area and just left the trail cam going all year just to have an idea what was there. Maybe there is a maybe there is a six point there that only comes out at 2 a.m. because he's old. You'd never have a way of knowing that just with how it with how it's hunted down there. Like they don't they don't really have any idea. Um like the guide that we had, like you could tell he had seen the same box, the same three that we had saw. Like he had seen those deer over and over and over and over and over again. I, that, that's crazy to me. That's just, there's not a ton of, I mean, I get why there's not a lot of deer, but that's just wild because even the Carmen hunt we went on in Mexico. Now we were farther North, right? With Mm -hmm. the Carmen. So, I mean, there was a lot of Carmen. I felt like, you know, we didn't see, we didn't see like a crazy amount, but still, I mean, you saw quite a few deer. Yeah, no, exactly. And this is like, it's different habitat because where we were at for the Carmen's was a desert, like high desert hunt. This was, I mean, this was what I would consider like jungle fringe hunt. Okay. Now it's like, it's like the Yucatan, the same type of area, but so much had been cleared out going into it. That was different. Like you didn't see the big jungle. It's like probably like the Yucatan was 50 years ago because all the, all the hillsides were cleared for, for coffee plants and, and there were houses, I mean, houses everywhere where people were living and, and it, it was just populated. There were more people there. I gotcha. Now this is something that I was curious about is the rut. Like when is the rut? What time were you there? Like what phase of the season were, were you guys there? Okay. So we, I didn't see any running activity, Justin, Adam. I mean, like, did, did you guys think there was any running activity going on? No, no. Like it was, I would put this to like an, like uh august here the okay. deer were just on like an august pattern like they're gonna go and eat and they're gonna sleep they said the rut was getting was going and i'm like man if this is the rut i would not want to be here in the off rut because I, I mean you didn't see anything you didn't see a doe yeah. moving at all you didn't see any of the bucks that we saw you didn't see them getting anywhere excited um my gut tells me that the rut down there um is later I mean, that's just my gut is that it's probably going to get, I mean, not cold, but it's going to get, you know, six degrees colder here in another month to where their rut would be later. Mm-hmm. Well, and even I like, think, I would think like January, December, January, I mean, that, Texas, Texas really gets swinging like that week right before Christmas. And we're talking about going further South than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even like Louisiana, Arkansas, you're not seeing ruts down there till January, early January. So mm-hmm. I don't know. That's, there was no interest. Yeah, in no. what we could see. It seemed to me that they were still on their early pattern, where they're not betting too far away from food. They're not yeah. moving not, much. They're not betting far from the horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like your guys are going out, and you watch this horse, and it's like there's a line of deer behind the horse. It's like okay, <laughs> this is odd. <laughs> all all six does are right behind it coming yeah. on in. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to add something too before we get too crazy into this. Um, you know, as far as like how bad those ticks were, when I branched away from you guys, when you guys went on it and I, I went to a new spot to try to 
I guess, per se, scout. Um, I have footage of birds literally landing on these deer and picking the ticks off them in the deer head and did not care. Like, it was nuts. Like, it was just something that they dealt with every single day. And these birds were, I like I said, I have footage of them. These birds were literally on top of these deer. <laughs> That's unreal. So many ticks. So many. Wow. Are these deer, you know, Mark... Uh, we talked about the Carmen deer a little bit and how aggressive they are. They're one of the more aggressive mm-hmm. whitetails or subspecies. Did you talk to these guys at all about like how aggressive these deer are in the rut? Like, is is could be a little bit of you know their antler growth and stuff like that, just because of how aggressive they might be. Like, did you talk about that at all? Yeah, they said they're not aggressive at all. Just, okay, just shy away from everything. So they're subordinate animals. Yep. I gotcha. Yep. Was there any water on the ranch? Like, was that a thing, you know, like there, a, like a, a way to hunt? There was, uh, there was actually quite, I, I, my words, I put, there's quite a bit of water on there. They wouldn't yeah. have had to go very far to find water. Mm-hmm. I think a big factor. And I think, I think another factor in the whole situation is the terrain. I mean, it was, I forget what he said, Mark, it was like 35, thousand acres or hectares i don't know which one he said but um the way like the property laid like just picture these giant ridges and then on each side of it it just falls off into like the the steepest like canyons it looked like something off like the movie congo like the old <laughs> gorilla movie i'm yep. serious like it was it was so thick and then the, the 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 ravines were so deep and so steep but they were also so timbered and so vegetated like there's you there's no way you're going down there or or back out like in any kind of time um so i mean there's a lot of places for the deer to go that obviously we couldn't get to but it was i mean you'll see that in the footage like there's a lot of good drone footage and some pictures and it's just i've never seen anything like it That's like wild. landscape wise it, it was such a wild place Hey everybody, I'm a believer in using the best and that's exactly what Gunworks rifles are. They're the best in the market. If you're looking for accuracy and dependability, make sure to go check them out. Get that gun of a lifetime coming your way at gunworks.com. If you guys are looking for the best seat covers on the market, you got to make sure to check out Rough Tough. I've had them in my truck now going on four years and they are bulletproof. Make sure to check them out, roughtough.com. If you're looking to book the trip of a lifetime, make sure to give the team at WTA a call at 1-800-755-8247 or check out our website, WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com. When you said Congo, though, I can I paint that picture immediately, right? That movie scared the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah. That's, I watched that when I was a kid. I'm still scared. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, I, I totally You, you can see that. how there would be... A- a lot of places for for deer and animal other animals to hide out and never be seen like nothing will go in there and touch him hmm. yeah that's wild what kind of predators are around there for the deer i guess we asked that i think i mean he said like they kill like two coyotes a year but i got to imagine there's mountain lions bears maybe there could be pumas in there i could yeah. see for sure i mean they had castings of cat tracks like they would find over the years and they would pour like a plaster into the, into the track just to cast it that they had in that little room where all the deadheads were Mark talked mm-hmm. about. Yeah, so there are cats of some kind in there. Probably. Okay. No. It was a Jaguar casted. Jaguar. Um, footprint. There you go. Yep. 
probably no had, bears that far south, right? Man, that bear would have 4,000 ticks on it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> right. Then the only other thing that, I mean, that I could see eating a deer were the crocodiles that they were raising. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Really raising. But I mean, how many, how many of those are actually going to get, are going to be killing deer? You know? Right. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I heard a couple things when I walked out at dark without a light and it got me running a little bit. Like I was <laughs> nervous. It was, a, it was a stiff walk. It was a stiff <laughs> walk. Yeah. Jumping over the creek, thinking there was an alligator or crocodile just waiting for me. So, so the next question I have is a camera went down in this whole endeavor, right? Like we, a camera broke. Yeah. Adam. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah. So what I'm getting at was, is the story that you gave me wrong and what you were doing is you were running away from a Puma and you <laughs> fell and smashed the camera. Like what's, what happened there? It was a, it was a mixture of, of both. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because that's part of the elements and and what we kind of go through in some of these areas. Like when I was in Saskatchewan, Mark can attest it wasn't very warm and cameras were shutting down on me. Like I couldn't even, I couldn't even run a drone. It was so cold. And the GoPros, I mean, basically they said F off. We're not, we're not working today. It's too cold. Yeah. We got, we got hit with a little bit of rain when Mark and I went out in one of the morning hunts, but I think it was a mixture of that and, and just the high moisture levels in the air. Like, I think it just, the camera just stopped working. Yeah. Like, I'm done. Did you deal with dust and dirt and stuff like that at all? Or was it, too, you know, the moisture pretty good to hold all that down? Yeah, I don't oh. think we were dealing with much dirt and dust. No. I got gotcha. you. That's a, I mean, that's just kind of the nature of what we do sometimes in some of these areas. Yeah. I mean, Justin, you've been in some pretty, pretty sticky situations, you know, more than we have. And, um, I know that extreme heat and extreme cold can really wreak havoc on expensive gear. Yeah. Like the biggest thing, I mean, you guys know this, but on the gear itself, it's yeah, you're, you're exposing it to those elements, but a lot of times people overlook or, you know, they forget about the fact like, yeah, you're out there in the cold, you know, and that camera's sitting there for four five, six hours and 20 or, or, you know, colder. Then you go back in the house with all your stuff and then all of a sudden you create the condensation on that camera. Like, so that's only a fraction of what you can see moisture wise. Like that's happening inside the camera too. Mm-hmm. So like you're creating the problem yep. a lot of times, but then what do you do? You leave it out there in the car overnight, you know, then it gets like 20 below, like still not going to work for you. So yeah, it's a lose, lose situation. Yeah, it really so, is. I've had, I've had scenarios in the past where it's been so cold and that condensation built up and I don't know what happened, but one morning turned on the camera and the LCD, just a black line right through mm-hmm. the LCD. And I'm like, uh, completely ruined the LCD. And it's like, I think it was just so cold that when it booted up, I don't know. And it just was like, that's a dead spot in the in the LCD. Yeah. And that, that's what happened on, on the FS5 you're talking about. Like I was filming, I set it up to film, it was a, it was a beehive or something in that main area and like i turned the camera on and i was pulling focus and you know getting ready to hit record and all of a sudden it just went like it pushed the focus in and out and then all of a sudden couldn't go i'm like it's not even in autofocus and all of a sudden it just got blurry and you had to use the zoom to get to the focal point that the lens was stuck at yeah it was it was (laughs) it was messed up yeah i don't know what happened but of course the only time justin touched the camera yeah done (laughs) 
Oh, so now that we're 40 minutes into this podcast, Mark, I want to get into that day. I mean, can you, could you basically say that like most of the days leading up to the kill were, were pretty uneventful, just long sits, not seeing a lot of deer? Cookie cutter, um, long sits, knocked out a book. I'm yeah, I looked, I looked over and like Mark, Mark's, he reads books a lot on these long hunts, like a bear hunt. The first day he starts the book, right? Four hours sit, I look over him like, damn, he like, he's like on page 125 on the first sit. So I like I kind of stopped paying attention. He's just he's he continues to read like throughout the week, and I look over and I'm like 472. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> like just yeah. knocking it out. A lot of B-roll of Mark's book. Yeah. Good time lapse. Just yeah. Yeah. For hours. There, I mean, you there would not be a lot of things to look at during the sets. Put it that way. Well, a um, lot, lot like Saskatchewan. I, I I cranked out 35 movies in five days. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not a lie should have downloaded movies to my phone and, and watched it there that would have been a good idea yeah so but I guess, let's I go, get into that back, day i guess we, did, we didn't have a lot of power at camp so any any we brought power charges and so forth but other than that it was just power generated from uh the old truck engine oh, sure is how we were getting power in camp okay everything was solar paneled in the in the room so dim that dim yellow light like old old solar panel yep i got gotcha. you Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So let's get into kill day. Like what happened that day? How'd the hunt break down? Um, were you crazy that you were like, oh, here's a deer <laughs> finally? Well, so, yeah. So, I mean, we had seen, we had seen the three bucks throughout the hunt. Like you, you we saw a, I, I don't know, even know how to say this. We saw a nicer spike like on day <laughs> three or four. Like I said it, I did. I said it. We saw a nicer spike on day three or four across the, we were sitting across this big gully and overlooking the other side. And you could see him come side hill and over there. And, but it, it must've been day three, right guys? I think it was day three, night of day three. Yeah. So, I mean, like you, were, you weren't even halfway through the hunt yet. And it was like, each hunting area is so 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 difficult to get a, your head wrapped around to where okay you're sitting in Saskatchewan and your target's a 150 to 180 inch whitetail, and then you go down to the Mexican Gulf Coast whitetail and your target whitetail's I don't know 23 inch to to 36 inch whitetail. So trying to get your head wrapped around these these differences and you see it and you're like man I want to we're going to try to try to wait it out and just see what else is here. And then over the, the course of the, the week, you're like, man, there isn't anything else here like that. That was actually an older 
again, I can't believe I'm saying this. That was an older spike. <laughs> like again, I said it again. Like, that was an older, older spike for the area. So you start to like by the time the week's over, you're fully engaged on what's in the area, what the deer are. Um, going into into that night, it's like now you're starting to have a little regret. You're like, man, I should have shot that that deer on day three. And the back in the back of my head, I'm starting to to replan the trip here. Um, going into the trip, I had high hopes of okay, in the area, they're free range uh, Sika deer, Axis deer, Mexican Gulf Coast deer. So in my head, I'm like, holy smokes, if if this thing comes true, I could leave with three of the deer species in a week. And that that Sika deer is one of the would be one of the oddball ones that if I have to go to Maryland or, or where the where the free range one of that is, but they had free range Sika deer there. Um, we never actually saw one while we were there, but apparently they are there. So like you have this mindset and, and everybody knows how the hunt goes on. And just I mean, by the end of the week, you start so high and by the end of the week you're like, eek, man just like dragging the gun behind you as you're walking, walking to the field, like a, like a kid. And I, I had already told Justin and, and everybody in, in camp, like, okay, we're, if we see one of these, one of these two bucks that we had seen already, um, it's, it's going to be game on. And we were sitting there and, and hadn't seen anything in does and knowing we had one day left and it was supposed to supposed to be cloudy and rainy that day. You're like, man, this is probably our last chance. And, and this, this, uh, I'm gonna say it again, this spike showed up with about five or six minutes left of, of daylight and came out and was, um, eating straight on. And at this point in the trip, you know what? Straight on's good to go. I, I said it and only ran about 25 yards. Shooter's going to shoot. Shooter's going to shoot at that point in time. Yep. And that's when, like, you went up there and, and we saw the, I mean, extremely small body size. It's tough to tell until you get up there. But that's like, okay, now we're now we're looking at the deer and, and seeing its characteristics and so forth. And that's when you're like, this deer literally has ticks all over it. Like backside, side ribs. Like how when's have you ever seen a tick on a side rib of a deer? Yeah, uh. this one had side ribs. Ears are covered. Um, underneath, like in the, in its crotch area, just like tick on top of tick underneath the neck, on top of the nose, forehead, like just anywhere that there was skin that a tick could get in and bite to get that blood. There was a tick there. Wow. Yeah, that's wild. So I mean. Kill. <laughs> I can't even say it. Yeah, I killed the spike. There it is. I, I know. I was going to say spike. And I'm like, but, but the unique thing about this whole deer slam is, though, is like, I mean, I feel like that's okay because you're, you're going to these different areas to hunt what is there and the difference, mm-hmm. the parallels, but also the, also the differences between all 31 of them. I mean, yep. the red bracket deer is about as big as, you know, a house cat, you know, or maybe a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. you know, but it's like, it's just kind of neat, you know. It's, it's I neat think, to. I think a bracket deer's antlers would have been bigger than this one. A broccoli deer antler would have been a little bit bigger. So, like this is this is one of those, but it's so it's so tough to explain to the normal deer hunter what the differences are of of this subspecies of whitetail because it's so unknown, so yeah. small, so few a tags, and just what like most whitetail guys are gonna be like, oh, you shot a you shot a spike. I'm like, yeah, but guess what? That spike's number twelve in the world. Yeah, <laughs> so, there that's it a is. good way to look at it. Yeah, <laughs> the spike's number twelve in the world over yeah. the last fifty years. Fifty, yeah, over fifty years that they've been recognized. 
Yeah, and that that was pretty evident to me last night when I was going through a lot of this, trying to look at research. And honestly, there was about one blog out there that you could really kind of find even literature about this Gulf Coast here. And I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. we're going to kind of go in this blind a little bit. But I've learned a ton already just listening to you guys talk uh, about this and kind of like a bird in the hand kind of deal. I mean, if you're going to go there and look for a trophy, just hopefully that he's the first one that steps out kind of deal. Exactly. Yep. I got you. So I want to pivot a little bit because you guys did kill an access deer down there as well. So Mm -hmm. free range access, which is a pretty good feat. So let's get into that a little bit. Yeah. So like in planning the deer slam for access deer, I've hunted Hawaii for free range access deer um, a couple different times. And it's awesome hunt. Deer numbers are crazy in Hawaii. Um, No natural predators. So you have to hunt them and, and they have to shoot a mass number of does there. So I had the first time I hunted Hawaii was Molokai. Um, second time was Maui, like where I'm recording right now, I'm actually staring at my Maui buck, just a 34 and a half inch stud axis deer still in velvet. Um, on this one, despite Justin wanting to go and film in Hawaii for an axis deer, I was planning to go to Texas to hunt free range axis deer down there. Cause it was somewhere I hadn't hunted and thought it'd be just cool in the adventure part. Now free range axis deer down in Veracruz is even, even a little bit, a little bit cooler. Um, we probably saw a lot more access deer than we did see whitetail on the ranch down there and free, free range yeah. access deer too. I mean, I mean, probably what, 10 to one access deer, Easily, like, a, yeah. <clears throat> like a lot, a lot more access deer. And then if you think about it, access deer and they're a tough deer, hardy. Um, anybody that's hunted them knows, I mean, they can, they can take a hit while hunting. Um, but we, like that wasn't the focus. So ironically, the first afternoon we get in there, we're sitting and we had a pretty decent velvet buck come in, but it was one of those we hesitated too long. Um, didn't shoot him right when he came in. And then he did, I've never seen this before. He Michael Jackson out of that opening. <laughs> he literally just slid his hooves right out of there. He's Great. like, I'm a backtrack and you're not going to be able to shoot me. Yeah, it was like, he's like anything. moonwalked. Yeah. I've never, I've never seen anything like it before. Just move, he slid out, never to be seen again. Just we, gone. I was already, I'm like, Mark, I'm on him. And I thought you were going to shoot. And he just goes, zip, 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 right back. <laughs> <laughs> and, and gone. Just gone. I've never seen anything uh, like it. Uh, so then we, we had seen access deer on and off. No other, no other good bucks throughout the week while we were sitting. Um, so that last, the last night we had there before we flew out the next morning, we went to an elevated blind in a, in a more open area that there weren't as many whitetail, but more access deer. And there was water there um, and sat there and, and it was like an hour before dark. And I guess I should backtrack. When we sat in this blind where there were four of us jammed up into this elevated blind, Justin at, no, there were five. There were five of us up there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah the fine. owner owner of the ranch and the guide. So there were five of us in there in like this four by three and a half blind. So it wasn't the most comfortable sit, but you could see, and there was at least a little bit of a breeze. So there weren't as many bugs. Um, and with all of us wearing bug spray, like I felt like the bugs were probably the least there <laughs> from anywhere that we sat. And it was overlooking this pond area to where they had, they had brought crocodiles in and, and had these crocodiles. So you were watching these crocodiles there. Um, And I looked over and about an hour before dark, I saw this big buck come out of a canyon thing, never stopped like this, this trot, you go, you could see it. And then it was, then it was gone. And right before dark, all of a sudden, I'm probably 
15 minutes before dark, you start seeing the axis does come out of the stick stuff and come to water um, and start hit the water first and then go, go to eat. And like you caught a glimpse of some smaller bucks and there were some spikes and so forth. Then all of a sudden that buck from before um, showed itself came on the, what I would consider the backside of the blind and was drinking water out of a tough to explain, like a, like a one and a half to two inch flooded mud, mud pit. Like it was standing in, in an inch and a half to two inches of water. Um, and it came out and it was, it was getting dark and it was facing us. And the problem is we're all facing the other way. So now you got to try to do the shuffle in a blind with five guys and try to get a camera angle. Justin's hanging out two feet off the left side of the blind. Adam's trying to film over my right shoulder through this little, little hole in the backside. Um, finally got the green light to shoot and just put it right between his shoulder blades and went straight down. And that was like out of, out of hunting a solid week for the Mexican Gulf coast whitetail. We hunted, five hours for this access to your buck and got a, what I consider a pretty good one for Veracruz as a, as a free range. They said they've shot and or shot a, a lot bigger ones out of there. Um, again, I never, never saw pictures of them from the area and just what we saw in hunting and no, we weren't necessarily in the prime access deer part of the ranch when we were hunting, but this was the best one we saw by far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. So, so, I mean, technically, are you calling it that uh, you knocked two off the list on one trip? I, I call it that I knocked two off the list. Justin still wants to go to Hawaii. He keeps pressuring, you know, this one down in Veracruz shouldn't count. So we'll see. I don't know if he's going to have to pull the chain very hard to get that to go. So I think be <laughs> that's going what I was like. Yeah, you know, I'm going to I'll just put the bug in Shelly's ear and get your kids to start bothering you about it. <laughs> <laughs> go go through Shelly to go to Hawaii. Next thing you know, next thing you know, we're hunting axis deer. You just gotta work. Yeah, you, you gotta know how to work the system. You gotta work the angles. I get it. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Well, well that's no, that awesome. A, that was a cool. At the end of it, I can say I'm happy. It's over. Like I, I'm happy. I'm happy. I, I'm happy. I'm not planning a second trip down to Veracruz. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say if uh, if we had to go back, Mark, we'd be having to. Talk about some hazard pay. Some hazard pay. <laughs> Justin and Adam were out. They tap Aaron and Lee to come in for the second the second round down there. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, honestly, I, I I don't know what would be worse, either the cold or what you guys went through. To be honest with Listen, you, I'd, I'd sit in that cold a hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah. Go back and eat Craig's cooking. Oh god, yeah, there, you're right. You're right. I'm, Listen, it's not even close. Yeah. No. I will I will say though, Mark, that cold was a different cold than I've experienced. Yes. Yeah. I I will say that um I ate more tortillas and drank more tequila in those six days than I ever have in my life. Probably combined. <laughs> Listen, I, that's a that's a good point. So on the tequila, I'm not a tequila guy. Apparently Adam is. He's been a long haul tequila guy. No, he, Adam's I mean, a he salt was into guy. it early. Yeah, Adam's oh, a salt guy. <laughs> Yeah, Adam does like he likes a pound of salt for every every little sip of tequila. But I, I can honestly say that's more tequila than I've ever drank before, too, because the nights would be pretty, pretty long there. And you were just looking to make them just a little, little bit less. Yeah, I okay, have tequila since I, I, I don't remember the I wasn't like really keeping track, but we went, went to town twice for tequila and came back with three bottles each time. Yeah, we, we drank five, left one of them. Yeah. I think we drank like six or seven, to be honest. Was, well, we, I, we had a couple there. Waiting there was somebody me. else who made made it disappear while we were hunting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said, 
I haven't had tequila since then either. I can tell you I probably won't have tequila for, for a yeah. while. Nope. Just sitting there sipping on it. That's just for three hours at night, just just yeah. sipping. I, I got a bottle to bring home, and it's still sitting here. Haven't touched it. No. Just for something to do, you're just drinking tequila. That's it. I mean, you're just looking for something Basically. to do. <laughs> I mean, what, 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 we can't, there's nothing else to do. Like, I grinded the iPad down. It was dead. No more movies to watch. I can't read because the light's so dim. And you're just it like, is. I can't I can't go and sleep in the bug-infested room for more than seven hours a night. Yeah, so for me, it was like, just more about making sure I didn't wake up to any strange things like crawling creepy crawlies outside or inside the room i just i just wanted to make sure it was lights out wake up to any locals you know in your in your hut don't want that now now i did i did leave this part out early but as like we stuck out for the area pretty much so we were pulling through some of these last little villages and, and towns right when we were getting to the ranch we had uh some police come in behind us just to, to check to see what we were doing as, as well to pull us over because we didn't really fit in the area. Yeah, like all, literally all the way to the gate, like to the, yep. the front entrance of this this property. They followed us from town. And we, we stopped the car and hear like, whoop, whoop. Hear the, hear the little yeah. siren just kind of flash. And then like, wow. The old fe- federalis. Here he goes. This is the end. Yeah, I was getting five minutes. I was filming and uh, you guys were still in the car and, I feel the presence of them coming toward me and I, I look behind me and they're speaking Spanish when I don't know a lick of Spanish and uh, they are fully decked out ARs and I'm like, this should be good. This should be good. I got a camera. They probably have no idea what I'm holding on to right now. And uh, we should see. <laughs> that's the, uh, I don't know. That's, that's the second, possibly the third time. I've been confronted with Mark by someone with an automatic weapon. Yeah. <laughs> and to me, to me, I kind of just shrugged the shoulders and took it as a normal Monday yeah. or Tuesday or whatever we were on. Yeah, that's true. That's wild. Well, <laughs> sounds like an awesome trip and uh, you were able to complete a couple uh, notches yep. in the belt there. So I guess in closing, what do you got for us, Mark? Like, you know, glad it's over obviously, but uh, what else you got? I mean, this is one you're it's glad it's over, but same thing like when I did the Upland Slam and the Waterfall Slam, like both in North America and South America, like you learn so much along the way. And with, if I wouldn't have come up with this deer slam, I don't think I'd have ever hunted Veracruz for a Mexican Gulf Coast whitetail just to, to kind of put that in the, the memory bank of, of what they go through compared to deer up north. And like, I kind of look at it as a, as like this mixing pot of how they hunt down there, how they hunt in Kansas, Saskatchewan, Texas, Kentucky, Iowa, Wyoming, like all these different places. And I just look at it as, I just keep learning as a hunter. And if I agree with it or not, I see how different cultures hunt, how they handle the habitat, how they handle the conservation. And that's, that's, that's my big takeaway is I, I, I did learn a lot down there in that week. I got you. Got Justin, Adam, what about you guys in closing? I would have to say, Mark, if it wasn't for those chairs that you brought down, gosh, <laughs> yeah. my back would be broken right now. That's also another true point. Dan Cabela for the save again mentioned that, hey, it would be worthwhile if you brought your own folding chairs down. So I made a quick purchase of three folding chairs. So we were sitting in comfort. Hey, it's the little things. Big, big. Yeah, well, it was it was definitely definitely uh, saving grace. 
Yeah. That, it may seem little now, but 10 hours a day for seven, 140 to 150 hours of sitting in a bad chair, I would have been like Mike Tyson. I broke <laughs> my back. My back uh, is broken. That's funny. It's spinal. That's funny. Well, good deal, guys. Thank you guys for doing this. Um, Mark, do you want to hit him with a little closer and, and, you know, where if anybody wants to know more information about this, obviously there's not a ton, but, you know, maybe hit up WTA yep. and some of the consultants. Yep. If, I mean, if anybody's looking to do this one, if you're looking to, to hunt probably one of the most odd subspecies of whitetail or, or just a different experience, one of the guys that's looking to do a lot of things, um, call the team of guys at WTA. Matt Gindorf would probably be the main one to, to call him to get this hunt set up. Um, if you're interested in hunting any of the deer species, make sure to give the guys a call. There's nobody else that knows knows it better than those guys. Anybody that's looking for more information on the slam, head to my website, Mark B. Peterson, or follow on social. Um, as always, like with the podcast and the videos, we love feedback. Um, questions, like as you guys ask questions, it actually truly helps us because some we know. Um, if we don't, we'll find it out. But like the questions help us for how we shape the videos and podcasts moving forward because we just take that information and then we try to try to involve that in the in the next deer species that we talk about or, or that we cover. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you guys very much again. And uh, yeah, we'll be right here next time on The Journey Within. <laughs>